Hello and welcome to the Freight Find Podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at DAT Freight and Analytics, and today I'm joined by my colleagues from DAT, Ken Adamo, Chief of Analytics, Dr. Inam Ayub, Director of Data Operations, and Dean Croak, Principal Analyst. Now, I invited the entire DAT Brain Trust for all things dealing with shippers, carriers, and brokers to join me in this, the annual Looking Back, Looking Forward Freight Find episode. In this episode, we'll review the big, surprising, and sometimes underreported events of 2022, and we'll make big, bold predictions on what we are in for in 2023. Following our conversation, I'll be joined by Dr. Enam Ayub to discuss the truckload market update. So, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Freight Find Podcast. How are you doing? Excellent. Good to be with you. Wonderful. It's cold in Austin. All right. All right. So this is our annual recap of 2023. And so I'm excited to do this. Before we talk about where we are now, let's talk about where we started. At the end of December 2021, right, about a year ago, drive and spot rates were 23% higher than contract, and new rates were coming in 10 to 20% higher than the ones they were replacing. So thinking back to where we were this time last year, let me ask you, Ken, start with you. What did you expect 2022 to be like? So we were expecting the cycle to turn downward this year, regardless of macroeconomic conditions and things like that. And I think our official prediction, which we did on this program and also on our weekly show was, mine was 15 to 20% down spot rates year over year by the end of the year. So directionally correct, magnitude, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Dean, what about you? Yeah. I'm aligned with Ken. I I didn't expect the magnitude. Of course, none of us predicted the or anticipated the Russian invasion of the Ukraine and the impact on diesel prices uh, that turned the market on its head. And I think um, a lot of capacity exited the industry as a direct result of that. So that happened a lot earlier than I thought. I didn't Mm -hmm. think the market had turned that quickly and we'd lose so much capacity and sort of accelerate this downward trend to where we are now. Yeah. Enam, we, we, when we did the, the model, we saw Q2 of 2022 when things would turn, and we were kind of correct there. What were you surprised by? Yeah, I think the biggest surprise I, uh, for me was the, the magnitude of the, not only the magnitude, the sharp drop on the spot market. Yeah. I think it, it was almost like how we picked up in 2020. It just came crashing down the same way. I think that was the biggest surprise. Uh, other than that, I think we were expecting, like everybody said, for this to turn. Yeah. So, yeah, the, you brought it up, Dean, that the war, no one saw that coming. Everyone thought it was going to be a you know, saber rattling, or if it did, that it would be quick. So any other big surprises that you guys saw that you, that you didn't see coming in? I mean, I think diesel was the biggest by far. Right? Yeah. I mean, that was, yeah. That, that, and that kind of underpinned – oh, sorry, Ken, go on. No, go ahead. Well, that underpinned the contract market rate side, I think, Chris, because shippers were paying obviously lots of fuel surcharge in the goods, but carriers uh, were also uh, suffering from higher wages, higher fuel costs. So large carriers were saying we've got much higher operating costs this time around. And I I think that maybe slowed down the deceleration of spot rates, that, uh, of contract rates we might have been anticipating, possibly. Yeah, yeah, because contract rates didn't fall nearly as sharply. They never do, right? But they didn't right, fall nearly right. as sharply or as far. Um, right. Do you think they're going to fall further, Enon? What do you think? I think so. I think they're going to take another 10 15% overall this year. 
because almost all of them will take uh, another procurement event in the first two quarters uh, this year. And, and so, in other words, in this downward cycle, they will have at least two procurement events. Yeah. Uh, so I think in each one of the that it, they're going to take at least somewhere between nine to twelve percent, and uh, so we we would see a, a continuation continuation there. Can you see the same thing, or do you see something different happening? I think I'm probably on the lower end of that. The wild card is going to be how fast spot rates come up, right? So of course, if we see some yeah. strength coming out of the holiday, that will sort of meet, or what needs to happen for that to happen, right? I, I think spot and contract need to flip back. Right. We need to right. see that back. The, the, the way things are backwards now need to flip back positive. And there's two ways that could happen. Either contract rates can fall down to meet spot rates or contract rates can keep falling and the spot rates come up to meet them. That'll have, you know, that that that'll close right. twice as fast. Yeah, that's a really good point. The market's been inverted truckload drive in anyway since um, April of 22. So this is now three full quarters. It's been inverted and Enam, has that gap started closing at all? It's still fairly wide, so it could take another quarter to close. That'll be the longest inverted market that I'm aware of. And so, yes. yeah, that that could be a, a major thing. Yeah, it's still holding on. We've had a pretty decent back half of peak on the spot market from a rating perspective. You know, we're right on top of where we were in 17 and 18, um, actually outperforming both of those years the past couple of weeks. So. But but to a point that you said, Dean, do you think we'll, you know, both have come down. Do you think they'll return to pre-pandemic or are we at a higher base level, base cost? What do you think, Dean? I think from a carrier's perspective, we are at a higher base cost. Um, I, I, I'm still of the belief that if carriers have been able to withstand uh, five to six months of above $5 a gallon and they're still operating, uh, I think Though you know, I don't know that we'll see the bleed off in capacity that people are anticipating or predicting, um, especially in some of the news media. I think I think capacity will hold fairly steadily uh, through the first quarter, and then contract rates will uh, spot rates will start to come back up towards the end of Q1, as we predict. Yeah, Enam, anything you want to add? Yeah, I think the biggest worry for me is the the demand reduction because of inflation. I think it it is when the, all the numbers come up. For Q4, I think it, it we would see more than what we expected. The buying power has significantly impacted the people. I think that that is my concern. That will further push spot rates down, and it will take more time because if the winds are, you know, still we have headwinds. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the counterpoint to that is if you've been to a grocery store or a, a discount retailer in the last few weeks, I mean, it looks like there's a, a hurricane coming. Mm-hmm. I, I had to go to three stores yesterday to find parsley. Well, why why would you buy parsley? Point. <laughs> what do you do with parsley? Is it you, you I technically don't eat parsley, garnish. right? I cook a lot of food over Christmas, and it needs to be garnished. That's right. You Jason Miller about this uh, a little bit ago, and there's this sense that people may not necessarily be buying less; they're just buying cheaper, which cheaper tends to mean bulkier, right? So, I mean, there's. You know, maybe you're buying more at Target. Maybe you're buying a lot, you know, two or three small Christmas presents as opposed to one big ticket item. And that requires a lot. It takes up a lot of space. So I think it's an interesting, yeah. interesting wrinkle. I have not seen uh, numbers yet for how the Christmas season went, uh, the sales. I, the, everything I've seen is that it's relatively flat, that all of the big push happened earlier. I mean, it's breaking all the records, right, Dean? I mean, yeah. For what? For demand? 300 million. 300 million. Sales revenue, sales volumes. 
Yeah. Yeah. So is it is uh, is inflation inflating the the sales the dollar value, but not the volume, or is it breaking everything? Uh, sales sales were reported to be up compared to this time last year. Like the sale, the volume of sales, the dollar value. Okay. Tends, yeah. Okay. I think it was even up net of inflation. I'd have to go back and clarify. We'll, to, that. we'll check. We'll we'll check for that. But um, let's go back to 2022. What was the biggest underreported factor? The thing that didn't get all the news. Ukraine got all the news, right? Fuel got a ton of news as well, and that it, that's come down substantially from where it peaked in the, in early fall. But what do you think's been the most underreported? Anyone have anything, Dean? I think that I mean it's it's kind of my old uh, go to thing that I complain about the most, and that's dwell time on loading docks. I go, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's real. It's always underreported because it's a hard data point to nail down, right? And it's more anecdotal. But we, what what we've seen, and this was underreported last year too, was how the freight network velocity slowed down because people were sitting on loading docks longer, because the loading docks were you know short of staff. This year we've seen the reverse of that, where the loading docks have been slow, equally slow because they're so full. And it's been harder to get freight unloaded. So last year it wasn't a problem because rates were so high. Dwell time can increase rates. Your revenue per tractor week can still be, um, you know, quite good. This year though, when rates come down and the dwell time stays there, it means your margins get eaten away. And I think that's been underreported more so than anything, mainly because it's a very hard data point to actually get some solid numbers on outside of the major telematics companies who don't share that data readily anyway. Yeah, and I think that data is being collected now. The question is, is oh, it yeah. all siloed? Is it all right. in different areas? But because I know companies, carriers track it, brokers track it. Right. Um, the right. question is, is there a clearinghouse or should there be a clearinghouse that has this? That's a really yeah. good question. Yeah, yeah, that would be wonderful if we did. I think it's a, I think at the carrier level, they factor in the dwell time into their, uh, you know, their cost structure. Um, whether they factor in things like the cost of driver turnover because they're not getting enough miles because they've got excessive dwell time is another question. Uh, but yeah. I suspect each carrier is factoring in long wait times on some of the shippers that have you know food-related commodities where they haven't been able to pick and pack groceries until even well after the trucks arrived at the dock after the appointment time. That's the sort of stuff we're still seeing going on. My colleague up here at MIT, Dave Carell, did a study where he actually looked at driver retention. And one of the um, key factors of a driver not being retained um, was if they get um, sent to uh, locations with large dwell time repeatedly. And so yeah. you do see that that does have an impact on carrier retention. Yeah, we did. A, I did a study of telematics data about five years ago, and we studied the voluntary terminations of drivers based on the mm -hmm. minutes of dwell time on a loading dock. And uh, the voluntary turnover rate increased uh, by 60% between zero and a minute and 29 minutes, zero, hmm. and a, zero and 129 minutes, and then dropped away to almost nothing. Wow. So why would drivers voluntarily quit at an hour, up to an hour and 29 minutes? It's because detention pay kicked in at an hour and 30. Yeah, yeah. So, so the detention pay is not linear. It really should have been linear all the way through, which was the corrective measure that we applied. But so it was a pro you know, the minutes of dwell time was a proxy for driver frustration. Right. And lack of right. pay and lack of miles. Yeah. Absolutely. Ken, any surprises? What 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 under what was underreported for you in twenty twenty two? I just think changing freight mix. I was just expanding on what Dean said. You know, length of haul um, in some key markets shortened the, the, the mix from spot and contract, I think hmm. was discussed a ton. Shipping less air. I mean, that's something I know that you have heard quite a bit in the roundtables and we've seen it in a lot of the data of 
you know, they're able to get dock workers or in more supply and things like that. So they're able to, to increase their load factors or their uh, shipments. So it's just been interesting, right? It's good that we have some triangulation sources in the industry where you can look at a tonnage index and cross-reference it against the shipment index and really try to suss out what exactly is going on because tonnage could be holding, but shipment count decreasing because they're increasing load factors. Right. A lot of times those having, it's a double-edged sword, right? Having so many sources of information, a lot of times they contradict and you try to figure out what the heck does it mean? I think too, right? The other kind of quiet thing that a lot of, like it was such a huge deal when it was happening, but the west to east port shift, I think what we're on four months straight of New York being the busiest port and not um, LA Long Beach. So that when, when, when the, when the boats were out there off of uh, San Pedro Bay, that was, everyone was chartering a helicopter to get footage of it on the news. And now that it subsided, it doesn't seem to be much of a story. Yeah. It used to be, um, I'd get called by Fox news, Fox business news <laughs> saying, what well, tell me about, they have to have a new story about the number of ships back in the, the spring of, of 22. Yeah. That's definitely shifted. And we'll talk more about that in a second. You know, any, any underreported things from your end? I think the, the, the primary thing I would think of is the, the, the shift in strategy from the shipper's perspective. I think they came off of a very volatile situation in 2021, and they, they, they had to change quite a bit uh, to, to the new, uh, new reality. And uh, so I think that that's something that uh, I think we'll talk more about it. We had talked quite a bit on other uh, sessions, but I think that is something that is, uh, you know, all the mini bid scenarios, all the usage of uh, dynamic carriers and so forth, I think. Well, let's let's talk about that more. So because um, a lot of times when something happens, it's a change like during the pandemic, some things that people did during the pandemic stayed and some things were only during the pandemic and things reverted back like e-commerce came back to the normal growth curve, right? It, it isn't like going skyrocketing off again. It, it, re, it um, reverted to the mean that it had been growing. But do you think that some of the things that we saw during 2022 will revert back to the mean? So let's go back to you, Ken, and talk about the ships. Do you think uh, we saw that shippers started um, not sending things to the West Coast, coming to the East Coast for a bunch of reasons, right? One is to avoid congestion that was at LA and Long Beach. But the second is, uh, maybe get some ties there because they're looking to the uh, union, the votes for the longshoremen on the West Coast coming up this summer. What do you think? Is this a, something that's going to stay or do you think it was just a blip? I mean, I think shippers would be wise to have a more diversified port. This isn't the first time that they've been right. burned by Southern California. So I think they'd be well off. The, the East Coast ports have dumped a ton of I mean, Savannah's dredged out to, to handle right. the big the big ships. They're continuing they're certainly not going to waste this opportunity from what, and Dean might be able to speak better on this, but I don't think, uh, especially some of the Southeast ports are going to waste this opportunity to, to have those customers get sticky. It's, 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 there's a difference, right? There's um, the the inland apparatus, if you will. I think I saw them open for uh, Radiohead, but the, the, the inland apparatus doesn't exist nearly as robustly in a place like Atlanta as it does Ontario to Sparks or Reno and then East. So I think if, if they can figure out the truckload component to be equally efficient, then yeah, I think it has a much higher chance of sticking. But those drayage and warehousing networks aren't nearly as robust, at least in my experience, in those areas as they are in Southern California. That That's true. And when we form a band, will we have to be inland apparatus? 
I think is we that, might have to the name of our of our band. Okay, I, I call dibs on bass. I, I can only really okay. keep track of four strings at once anymore. Well, I got drums, and so you know you can do lead vocals, Enam. I, I can see that happening. But uh, Dean, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, Ken, Ken raised a good point. I think there's a lot of permanency to what's happening with this coastal shift. I pulled some numbers for November from the Piers database when we look at the total volume of imports. When you look at it year over year, the East Coast volumes are coming down, right? So that's been a shift, but the year over year volumes are down about 6% on the East Coast, but down double that and some on the West Coast, right. but up about 2% year over year still on the Gulf Coast. Now, Gulf Coast ports are much smaller. Ken mentioned Houston. Um, Houston's been a real uh, shining, a really sh- it's been a great state for flatbed carriers in particular because we've seen a lot more break bulk volume come into those ports, right. Uh, right, which has obviously driven a lot more flatbed volume. Uh, other po- so I think the infrastructure that's been uh, going on since well before the Panama Canal was widened, a lot of uh-huh. East Coast ports anticipated that and we saw bridges raised, ports dredged. Just last month, the port of Charleston announced they'd uh, finished their dredging to 52 feet, which allows the ever-given style of vessel at 24,000 TEU to come in and unload. Now, it's traditionally a small freight market, but when they invest in a new 1,000-foot dock last year, another four ship-to-shore cranes, dredge the harbour to 52 feet, that's going to attract a lot of freight networks in and around that. They're going to develop. I think a lot of that sticks because I think shippers will get used to that type of uh, freight. We might see longer drage uh, as a result, like the longer dray hauls. Uh, but So that's what I think will drive it. It's, it's more so the infrastructure that's been built in the last five or six years. Yeah, so a lot of that was shift. done at the ports. But to, to Ken's point, it's, it's you know, when, with the thing with a port, a port is not just a port. It's a series right. of, of steps on the way. So you invest in cranes, you invest in docks, but you need that land linkage. Right. Yep. And so that's what's been struggling now, because I know on the drayage side, they've been really struggling in the southeast because they're not used to that level of, of drayage. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so we're, we're seeing how that's how that's changing. Enam, anything that, from your end about oh, that? With the, oh, I'm sorry, Ken, uh, uh, Dean, were you going to well, say Well, I was just going to add that um, one of the inland reports I read yesterday said that dwell times are sort of way back to normal um, on the port side, you know, in terms of the amount of hours or days ships are being held up at port. But the, still, the sticking point was still chassis trailers under loaded international boxes not being unloaded timely enough at the shipper. So chassis trailers are still a problem because of the shipper inventory turn time issue that's still lagging so but, to your point dean let me ask the question though for you said the dwell time is that the ship dwell time or no, dwell no, the, time the, of a container to get through the, the port it's i think they call it the street turn time right it's the turn it's the time that the chassis trailer in the box leaves the port and then gets unloaded and returned that is okay. still a bit of a choke point on the inland moves the other the other thing that's happened is with this all this surging volume a lot of these con- international containers have been moving further inland now than they were before because in the pandemic a lot of the empties a lot of the containers were being emptied transloaded but shipped back to asia empty as fast as they could Mm-hmm. And that's kind of changed a bit. So I think that when we talk about longer dray hauls as being a feature of some of this import shift, we're still not past the point where we've got a sufficient supply of chassis trailers to meet that incoming TEU demand. Yeah, and other countries handle their uh, their chassis trailers differently, the pools and everything. It seems like uh, the United States is a little backwards. Like in Europe, doesn't the uh, ocean carrier need to own the container, the uh, chassis? And here it's kind of a, there are different strategies used, whether it's a pool 
I know like the Port of Virginia has a, has a pool there and there's other different strategies. So I don't know until that gets cleared up because it's almost like um, the pallets, you know, how they, because they, it's all circular. So if no one clearly owns or has responsibility for them, there will always be shortages and challenges. Enam, let's go to back to what you had said. So you saw some shipper behavior changing in 22, and I think that in the pandemic as well. What do you? What are, what are the big changes in shipper strategy you've seen, and what do you think will stick? I think uh, the the mini bids will stick. However, the objective of the mini bids have shifted. So in in 2021, uh, there was a higher frequency of mini bids. But the objective was to uh, get capacity at a contracted price. The objective in 2022 is to take a rate reduction. So that is continuing. Uh, the, the, the mini bids are continuing, but the, the objective have shifted. The other is, I think, um, in the past, I think that the bigger shift is in the past, the low frequency, low volume lanes were considered we'll push everything into a routing guide anything that falls off the routing guide is an exception and it was handled as an exception which generally goes to a spot market or a lower tier carrier on a routing guide Uh, what we are seeing now is because i think because of the cost of exception was so high in 2021 it forced the shippers to take a clear separate strategy for the exceptions and now they are primarily handling using dynamic carriers uh, uh, to primarily to use that. In other words, they are not putting low frequency, low volume shipment uh, lanes into the routing guide. They are clearly keeping them out of the routing guide and coming up with a separate strategy. Right. right. We've had on this podcast, we've had people like um, from Newell Rubbermaid talk about how 75% of their lanes only account for 20% of their volume. So therefore, just let that go. Um, but to Ken, a point for you, th- this drives more spot business, which means it's more a business for small carriers. How do you see this affecting like load boards and things like that? I mean, there's been two sort of extraneous factors that have kept volume in the spot market that we've been able to observe. One is the success of the broker in the RFP process over the last two years. We've talked about that to death, so we don't have to yeah, cover that yeah. kind of too much. The other thing our product managers that work on the shipper side have noticed is that shippers are being more deliberate recently with moving things to the spot market in a way that they haven't really in recent history. So not spillover, but deliberately shifting over. And some of the comments are, it's just too lucrative to resist not moving freight over. Um, so we have some data to show, and it's not a ton, it's two to three percentage points of freight moving over into the spot market right now um, at a time when you would expect it to be not moving over there because routing guys are holding up. So I think those are two interesting developments. And one thing to keep in mind, right, given how big the contract market is compared to the spot, 1% of contract freight moving over means a whole heck of a lot of spot freight. Right, right. Dean, what about carriers? Carriers changed a little bit in 2022. Is there anything that they're doing differently that you think that uh, will still reflect? that will stick with us? Uh, it's a good question. I think the the thing that I saw change this year, and again, hard to pin down with solid data points, but the data point that continued to come out in every conversation with carrier was how much more of the fuel surcharge they were capturing. Typical spot market carriers, because it was it went so high and diesel went so much, they become so they became more aware. Yeah, so it, it you know, when you're 
when you're putting $1,300 to $1,500 every second day in your tanks, the cost of fuel becomes a pretty big deal. And and then what happened, though, there was all this talk in the media about diesel prices and the fuel surcharge. And I found a lot of carriers that previously would have ignored that uh, when rates were high were saying, what's the fuel surcharge? How do I get me some of that, et cetera, et cetera. That was the thing that I saw change in their behaviour and and more aggressively trying to recapture some of that above the line haul rate. That was one of the things that I saw carriers change, which has stuck since yeah. then. Okay. Anything about brokers, the way they've changed? Can you kind of implied some of this that they're getting more contract business? Do you think that's going to continue? Yeah. I mean, they're pulling their hair out, what's left of it, trying to figure out how to price it, right? I mean, they're the, the hardest thing for a broker right now is pricing against people who are either willfully ignoring what they know to be true in the upcoming market or ignorant to what's going to happen. What I mean by that is, let's say that we're fairly confident spot rates are going to start moving up here in the next couple of quarters. And let's just say that the smart and savvy brokers know that as well. If they're going to enter it, you know, if they're going to price out a 12 month contract, the first half is going to be with depressed rates. And that's going to average out against the second half with elevated rates. Well, they're bidding against competition, which are pricing off the current market. And the shipper doesn't care, right? The shipper's seeing a lower price and going to go with that. And, you know, we're getting tons of brokers ask us for advice and strategy around navigating that. And one of the best tips I think that I've heard is just offer a six-month deal. Say, look, I'll match that competitor's price, but I'm only going to hold it for six months. And you know they're going to shred up those paper rates when the market goes up. No, that makes sense. Enum, are shippers more amenable to shorter contract terms? They did during the pandemic. People were doing, you know, mini bids monthly, right, for shorter term contracts. Do you see this as sticking as well, a six month or a one quarter contract? What do you think? Yeah, I think what we are hearing from the shippers is that the shippers are willing to give shorter contracts, of course, not too short, but like six months contracts for brokers, because they know that broker, when the market turns, the brokers are the ones who are going to come first to change the rates, right? So they are willing to give brokers a shorter contract than the asset providers. Uh, on the other hand, the the level of stigma that the brokers had with the shippers are, is not there as much uh, in today's uh, market. Um, r- rather, the shippers are looking at it from the angle of whether it's live load or drop and hook. I think that is their bigger concern. It's not as much of a concern whether it's a broker who's moving it, but whether it's live or um, drop. Because, you know, that in many cases, that is a hard constraint depending on the location uh, for the shipper. Right. And that's that's really interesting because one of the big things that happened in 21 versus 20 was the growth of private fleet that grew that. And also for the carriers, for your side, Dean, that the it seems like every carrier now has its own brokerage side of things. And so it seems like the line, to your point, Enam, between asset and non-asset really blended and it's a little fuzzier. Do you do you see that continuing, Dean? Do you see that the the brokerage side of a of an asset based carrier's business to continue to grow, or do you think that's that'll change? No, I do. I think it'll continue to grow. It's a it's a both a, a good strategy to move uh, you know freight that you can't move within your own network, but it's also a very profitable business for asset based carriers historically. Yeah. Um, from a just from a margin perspective, so I think that's going to be the case. Um, Ken made a good point a little bit ago about you know spot market volumes. We're still seeing elevated spot market volumes compared to pre-pandemic years. So not by a lot, 
but we're still we're still not seeing the implosion in the spot market that people, right. you know, portrayed earlier in the year. The spot still no bloodbath. Still no, no bloodbath. Is that what you're saying? No purge, No cliffs. No even even the some of the headlines yesterday about the truckload market crashing were like so misleading. I I had a bit of a chuckle. I thought, you know, most of the truckload guys I know are doing really really well. Uh, yeah. And as Ken said on our show Tuesday, on the margins, you know, the, some of the carriers are obviously struggling. Um, some of the more recent carriers, but we're talking about a very small percentage of the industry. Right. So let's talk about the other end of the industry, the private fleet, because that grew by 40%, the dedicated and private fleet from 2020 to 2021, um, the most recent numbers we have. Enam, do you think that's going to stay? Do you think the amount of private fleet that shippers had? Because they, they were going any capacity, you know, any port in a storm, they're finding secure capacity. And it takes longer to unwind dedicated contracts. Do you think that's going to stay at the elevated level that it did uh, this most recent year? Or do you think that'll revert back? I think that will revert back. I think uh, shippers also, you know, uh, they, they have to justify year over year. So I think it will slowly get back. In softer markets, we generally see uh, dedicated fleets, you know, um, reducing their fleet capacity. So I would I would think that it'll... It'll, it'll uh, just take, it'll take some time though. It'll take time, definitely take time. Multi-year yeah. contract, yeah. Yeah, it's a typically a dedicated contracts are two to three years, so you can't fold it immediately. Uh, but I think it'll it'll it won't grow like how it used to. Okay, let's let's shift the conversation to to one of the key components or key customers of DAT altogether, which is small carriers, right? And so we saw a huge increase in the number of small carriers getting into the market over the last two years. Do you see this shaking out, Dean? Do you see this number returning back? Do you or do you think we're going to have that many small operators continuing going forward? I, th- I think we'll see it continue for a couple of reasons. One is uh, we've got a lot more technology at our disposal, as in our, but meaning that you know the small carrier. There's a lot more um, availability of loads on the on the different technology platforms. There's a lot more dynamic pricing. You can have a lot more transparency in the market. Uh, I think there's a lot more. Uh, in the last couple of years, there's certainly have been a lot more shows like this where carriers can listen to and better understand how to run a trucking business. Um, I wouldn't say we've reached our goal there in terms of people understanding their operating costs, but I just think this this market cycle is very different because carriers have proven that there's a lot more data available at their disposal yeah. that allows them to stick in this market a lot better. You know, some of our things like lane makers where carriers can go in and look at lanes where brokers are searching. Uh, you know, they can build they can build uh, good lane density around lanes in the spot market they might not have previously seen. And that's to me, that's new compared to, say, the last cycle that had some similarity, which was 2018, 2019, as in growth and then carrier exits. Yeah. Ken, what do you think? I'm slightly more pessimistic here because I think, you know, early on in this downturn, you, you lose the drivers that are going to lose anyway. They're only going to be able to operate in the most perfect conditions, right? I think right now we are still attriting drivers and those are the ones we don't want to lose. Like we collectively, right? They're the... And, you know, it's, it, I was worried heading into peak and it's looking like volumes and rates have been okay. So I'm a, I'm a bit less concerned. But as we head into next year, if, if, if fuel can stay reasonable, the spot, right, the spot market digs out, they're in a much better position than they were exiting 19. Like if COVID wouldn't have happened, that would have been a pretty tremendous hole. And I'm curious to get Dean's thoughts on this. They would have had to dig out of a tremendous hole 
if fuel normalizes and rates even re- return modestly, they're back to, I get their costs have increased, but they are back to a revenue base that is jumping off significantly higher than they have any of the last right. three cycles. Yep. yep. Dean? Yeah, I mean, uh, diesel costs of, uh, I peg a long haul owner operated truck at about a buck uh, 96 a mile today. Um, that truck was about a dollar seventy eight a year ago, but at a you know if you, if you were to say dollar ninety five going into New Year operating costs with diesel where it is, you're not far off where line haul rates are now. Even if you're getting no fuel recapture at all, it's not a disaster. Surely you're not making a lot of profit on those lanes that you would yeah. like to, but there are still opportunities out there for carriers. I think they if they can weather the, the first quarter, diesel prices stay low. I think I don't think we'll see the exodus that people would uh, certainly have been predicting. All right. Well, let's shift to 23 and, and wrap up with some last questions. I'll start with you, Enam. We talked about this at the beginning of the call that the market's inverted. It's been inverted since April of 22. When will it flip back? Give me an exact date and time. When do you think it'll flip back where spot rates will go above contract rates? Month. I would say middle of the year. I, I would say June. June. Okay. Dean, what do you think? Any thoughts there? I'm going with uh, June 30, right before the July 4 break. You picked a specific date, June 30th. Yep. Do you want want to give a time of day, Dean, or is that too too specific? Maybe 11 a.m., I think. 11 a.m. on June 30th. All right. (laughs) Ken? I don't know. I don't. Are you going to do it like a price is right thing and go the day before? One dollar, Chris. I, I'm much more like to track the 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 cat the what you call it? the capitalist curve. I just now thought of that. But the coyote curve, the picket line, the Kenny curve, whatever you call it, that to me is what I'm looking at most closely. And to me, I think you'll start to see spot rates on a year over year basis improve late Q1, early Q2, and you'll look at contract rates to start improving yeah. quarter, you know late Q3, early Q4. I would not be surprised if we exited the year with with contract rates still negative year over year. Yeah, because uh, you raised up a really different, an interesting point. There's two different ways you can look at this. The absolute differences, right? and Or the year over year percent differences. And they both follow the same curves. They just don't match exactly the same, but they tell us kind of the same story. And I'm interested in that year over year because we're lapping such strong year over year. Like last December was without a doubt, the craziest month in freight that any of us have ever seen. Mm. There's there's no question. That's when you should be writing these sensationalist articles because it was nuts. Blank yeah. check time. And so right now we're lapping that. Like we're comparing on all of our analytics, all of our memories, all of our experiences are comparing that to this December. And it feels slow, even though it's busy. Next year, this time of year, we'll be comparing this December to whatever's happening then. And especially when we get into like the midsummer. We're going to be comparing much softer comparables than the COVID yeah. That's year. that's actually the the problem I have with the year over year because how we're we're comparing now it's a reflection of how volatile it was last year, and so yeah. it's really a reflection of the past rather than or I think looking at both. Are oh yeah, both. Sure. Speed. But I think um, we'll be lapping more calmer. We'll be lapping calmer waters next year, right? And I think that's what I'm looking forward to getting into where. I love that we're in calmer waters now, but I want to get like a year of that under our belts, for lack of a better way to put it. Okay. Last last question for, for we talked about when the market might get reverted back. What about contract rates or spot rates? Where will they be this time next year when we're back on this call? Ken, what do you think? 
Right now, they're about 277 and 226 for spot. Is that about right, Enom, for dry van? Yes. Somewhere around there? Yes. I think we could be right around year-over-year flat. I mean, just looking at the curve, I think that's probably where we're going to hopefully dig out of from a year-over-year percent change. I don't know what that translates into from an absolute yeah, perspective. Yeah, sure. Okay. but Because I, I think we're pretty flat compared to this time last year. Yes. Strangely. We had the peak up and then they started coming down again. We crested right in Q1. Dean, what do you think? Where will we up? Flat or down? No, I think uh, at the risk of sitting on a fence and getting a whole lot of splinters, uh, I think uh, is that an Australian I think, term? I, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> I could have said something a lot worse, but I, I I tamed that down. But it's what happens to people to sit on the fence. Um, I, I think they'll be flat because you know we are. I think on our uh, rate view today for dry van, including fuel, we're at two ninety five. December last year, we're at two ninety five now. So I think I think we'll see rates go up a little bit over the course of the, when Eamon Arms' next two RFPs come in, and they start to filter into the market in Q3, right. and then they'll they'll sort of settle back to about where they are now. I think that's what I, that's what it feels like. All right. Well, Enam, you're the master of the contract markets. What do you think? No, I, I think I think the same. I think it will be will it'll be time to turn, and we'll be year over year we'll be sitting around the same amount. Around the same. I have to get new business cards printed and approved for you, you know, master of the contract market. (laughs) (laughs) He is the master and you're the master of the spot. How's that? I got the raw end of that deal. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Any any last thoughts as we uh, kick off this new year of 2023? Uh, I got one. Um, I'm going to take Georgia versus Ohio State and Michigan versus TCU. Who do you got? This will come out after the fact, so you'll actually get a pure uh, view on whether we were right or wrong. I have to say that I truly don't care. Oh. Dean, you're Australian. You're a big football fan. I, I don't know. I'm totally engrossed in the European rugby competition. I have no clue what's going there was on. A, there was a little yeah. World Cup thing going on recently, too. That it took was. Some, yeah. anyway. Best yeah. sporting event I ever saw, that World Cup yeah. final. Yeah. Best event That's I've great. ever witnessed. Yeah. Enam, yeah. you're a big football fan. Yeah, I, I think I'll have to go with Georgia. On that note, uh, thank you guys. Appreciate talking with you as always. And for everyone else, I will be joined in a few minutes by Enam to give the truckload market update. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Over the Road Truckload Market Update for January 12th, 2023. In today's market update, we'll discuss the market changes in the last four weeks. Again, this four weeks because we skipped the week uh, update two weeks ago because of the end of the year. Let's start with dry van. Active rates are up 1.5%. Spot rates up 6%. Replacement rates negative 11%. This means the new contract rates are about 11% below the rates being replaced. On the temp control side, active rates are up 1%, spot rates are up 6%, and replacement rates negative 8%. In a model, active rates are up half a percent, spot rates down half a percent, and replacement rates negative 5%. Finally, on the flatbed, active rates are up 1.6%, spot rates up 7%, and replacement rate is negative 9%. Well, that's 
really interesting, you know, it looks like active rates for all four modes creeped up a little bit for all. That's been a long time since that's happened, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, this since April, May time period, this is the first time we have seen, you know, breaking that 1% mark going up. Yeah, but they're all they're all pretty small, less than 2%, 1.6, half, one, one and a half. So they went up a little bit. Spot rates also went up. What do you think uh, that's caused by? Yeah, I think the spot rates going up th- that much, right? I think it's typically it bounces around a little. But going up that much is the biggest, I don't want to say surprise, but what we didn't expect. It, it, it very well could be end of the year, some inventory moving around. Right. But systematically, I think it's, we still can't uh, see why it should shoot up that much. Yeah, but even though they, they both went up, the replacement rate is still negative, negative across the board. So we still have new bids coming in below the ones they're replacing. And do you expect that to continue? I would think so, because again, the Q4 bids uh, that came in will only roll out in January. So by mid to end of January is when we would really see the new rates coming in. Yeah, and so there's still a gap between contract and spot, with spot being below contract, but the gap closed a little bit over the last four weeks. Uh, Four weeks ago, it was forty-one cents and thirty-four cents for dry van and reefer. And what's it at now? It's it's uh, almost half. It's twenty-three and twenty. Huh. Yeah. So this is kind of what we've been saying. The gap will close, w- whether it'll happen in Q one or Q two. Do you think this sudden closing is going to continue, or do you think it's just an end of the year blip? I, I think it. I still think it's an end of the year blip. But I, next update, we would know a little bit more sure where this direction, uh, whether it's a, you know, direction that's going to sustain or whether it's, it's a blip. Yeah. And so last question is fuel. It's certainly not as high as it was in, in the summer of 22, down to about 450. And it's kind of hovering around there. What do you, what impact do you think that's having? I think it's continuing to, um, you know, it, it is an additional pass-through cost for the shippers. They are They are taking the hit on it. And uh, but, you know, surprisingly, 450 doesn't seem that high anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Kind of our expectations were reset. Um, But uh, we'll see how that goes. There's so many other factors affecting fuel prices. I was actually on the highway in New Hampshire and I was getting um, regular gasoline. But the diesel pump was right there for clean diesel was 620 a gallon. 620. Incredible. Now, I don't know who's using clean diesel, but um that was that seemed exceptionally high. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, I guess that concludes this week's Truckload Market Update. Thanks, Enam. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Freight Find. The Freight Find podcast is hosted by Dr. Enam Ayub and myself, Chris Kaplis, and is produced and edited by DATIQ. For more information or to hear previous episodes, please visit our website at dat.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to The Freight Find wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on The Freight Find or suggestions for what you'd like to hear in the future, send an email to me at chris.caplis at dat.com. Finally, from all of us at The Freight Find, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. 